Ukrainians are suffering. One million refugees have been forced to leave their homes. Millions of human beings are crying out for hygiene products, food and blankets. You can help. I'm proud to announce the launch of our Writers for Ukraine initiative, starting with our one million word challenge. We are calling on all writers to pick up their pens and heed the call for our biggest ever challenge to raise money and support for those who need it in these unprecedented times. From Wednesday 9th to Tuesday the 15th of March, writers from the world over will band together to achieve a combined total of one million words across their projects. It doesn't matter what you write. If you're a fiction writer, work on that next novel. If you're a non-fictioner, blogger, poet, short story writer, or comic book creator, it doesn't matter. It's all about getting the words down. Over the seven days, we will strive to achieve both goals of hitting one million words and raising a minimum of £10,000 to get vital aid to Ukraine. To get involved, simply sign up over at activatedauthors.com forward slash Ukraine, make your donation, and then jump on over into our bespoke word tracker. It's just that simple. One million words for over one million refugees. Writers for Ukraine. Write the words that can literally change the world. Activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? Welcome to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the amazing Chris Kane. Through her super secret alias, Chris Kane has gone from homeless to six figures, selling over 300,000 copies of her books. When she isn't writing, she edits with an eye toward emotional power and teaches craft and business to the author community at the Author Success Mastermind with Jay Thorne and talks about the writer life on the Right Away podcast with JP Reinflesh. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi. I am so excited to have you on and to talk to you because we are, I'll make no secret of it, we're obviously friends in um, private life as well, so we chat a lot anyway. And you have been away for like forever. So this is kind of yeah. the chance to catch up. Um, catch up. But I did, I, I want to dive in because you have been on the road for so long. I did just want to kind of ask, because you have been traveling, how have you found it now that you've come back to some semblance of normalcy? Um, hard, but also really good. Um, getting back into a schedule has been rather difficult and part of that's exacerbated by I have a five-year-old who it, until this week was not in any kind of external schedule um, before I left on the three-month van trip um, he would go to his nanny's house every day instead of like preschool or school so I still had that external schedule that like gave me my time and since we've gotten back, we haven't had that, but this week he did a week of summer camp and then he'll have three more next month and then he'll go into school full time. And that helps so much uh, mm. to just provide that structure I need to be like, okay, here are your work hours. I'm jealous. 
yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to have those boundaries sometimes just to like get the work done, oh, sit down and make it happen. 100%. Uh, I'm not very good at providing boundaries for myself. I'm a workaholic as um, I think you are, except that you're worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even argue. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's really nice because like when his time at school is done, unless I have a meeting scheduled for the evening, I just don't work outside of his time. Now that he doesn't, I've been lucky he's taken naps up until this age at five. Hmm. Um, so um, he, and I would go to bed at the same time because when it comes to eight o'clock at night, I'm exhausted, eight, nine o'clock, we're asleep. But now that he's not getting naps because he's going to school, he's going to bed earlier. And now I have like a couple hours after he goes to sleep, which I've never really had before. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to capture those for more work time or if I'm going to use them for other projects. Like, I don't know, I'm playing the ukulele now. So nice. um, like that might be my ukulele playing time. I don't know, like, or just oh. other craft things. How far have you gone with the ukulele? Um, so I started a month ago and now I know uh, like four chords solidly that I can switch through maybe five. Um, and I can play about three songs pretty decently. Mm. I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, now I need a teacher because I don't know how to do things the right way. And I do things decently. Like I can absolutely sing along to my songs, um, and not like truly F it up, but like it's, it's time to level up advanced yeah. beginner. Yeah, no, I love, I, I do love the ukulele. I've got one myself. Um, and I'm self-taught guitar. So I kind of, mm straight into the ukulele i think i'm the same as you where it's like i can play the songs but i don't know if you know it's technically the right way to yeah. make that happen um, and what's interesting is i've started with the ukulele so that i could move to the guitar because these tiny little delicate fingers could not handle those string uh those steel strings on the guitar so mm -hmm. i was like okay we're gonna go with the nylon and the tiny hands but yeah that is always the, one of the biggest stumbling blocks is just hardening up those fingers and getting them used to it i mean even if you take a few weeks off and then go back to yeah. playing like they get pretty sensitive but good way to step into it um Indeed. Tell my listeners a little bit about your journey, how you got into writing and kind of what the last few years have been like for you. Yeah, so I'm one of those kids who's been obsessed with writing since I was a wee thing. Um, basically, as soon as I learned how to start writing, I started telling stories. Um, and I remember trying to force other kids to act out my plays um, at like seven, eight, nine. And wrote throughout high school, kind of paused for college because college drains all life from you um, for the most part. And then got back into it when I moved into Nashville, found a local writer community. And that kept me writing somewhat regularly. Uh, but because I had a day job, I just, I was not one of those people who could like totally rock, like pushing forward on my writing and career projects or, or creative projects and work. And I don't know if that's because I was in software development and they were using both, uh, both were using kind of that same creative problem solving energy, or if it's just, I just have trouble trying to do two different things at once. So, um, I worked I then moved to Costa Rica accidentally um, and lived there, had a kid there. And then three days after I went back to work full time, after having my kid, my job decided to let all the remote workers come. And I putzed around for about four months attempting, but not really trying too hard, um, subconsciously sabotaging myself because I just did not want to go back to work in an office. Um, and we drained our savings down to the point where I told my then husband, um, either we like move in with my parents in New York 
um, now while we've got like this much money left to get there, or we don't have enough money to go at all. So we did, we moved up to New York and moved in with my parents. Um, and I think it was like five days after I arrived in New York, my friend was like, Hey, I found this strange little romance genre selling on Amazon. We should write in it. And I was like, Oh, you know what? I wrote this, this romance novella two years ago. It's been sitting on my computer ever since then. I could change a few things to fit it to the genre. And then uh publish it and then you know we could write a couple more together and after we get like three out we can start like pushing them marketing them um and just kind of see where it goes and she'd had um some success writing uh romance novellas i think she'd made like ten thousand dollars up to that point over like the last the couple years before that and i had been publishing anthologies and um working on projects with her for a while. So we're like, cool. Like we, I'd like, I'd been super obsessed with the indie space ever since it started back in the Amanda Hawking and Joe Conrath days and knew that I wanted to be full indie, like had no interest in going trad pub. Um, but again, hadn't had the energy to finish anything that that novella was actually the first non-short story that I finished. So I published it. Um, I, didn't edit it. It was terrible. Um, so many errors and I had done the cover myself, which I have some, uh, some chops as a cover designer, particularly for romance. Cause, um, the, the commonalities of romance genre are really easy for me to comprehend in design work. Um, and then it sold $20 in the first day with having told absolutely no one. And this was in Kindle unlimited and you know that that's insane. Like that just isn't normal. Um, so I, I told my ex-husband, I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to go full force at this a hundred percent and I don't have to go back to work. And he's like, mm, you need to keep applying for jobs until you make, uh, our, our border, our baseline was $3,000 in a month. And I was like, okay, fine. So I was still applying, still interviewing, but I was writing like a mad woman. And my, my friend and I were trading chapters back and forth. I think that first book made, uh, a, maybe not that first, it made, it made at least a thousand dollars that month. Um, and I think I made $2,000 that month. And then halfway through the next month, it was very clear that I was going to make $3,000 that month. I think we published three books that first month. And then it was like two bucks a month, every month for a few months, uh, between the two of us writing like insane people. And so I quit uh, looking for jobs and, um, just went full force. And that's there it shall lie. And there it yeah. continues. So, I mean, how how do you capitalize on stuff like that under so much pressure? Because obviously there is a pressure of needing to make the money to survive and, you know, to work with your partnership. And I know that when I first started writing, there was definitely a lot of resistance from those around me and the whole thing of like, oh, keep pushing for like the traditional job, keep pushing for that. Mm. What was it about that particular moment in your life that really made you just drive forward and go like this is like because it's, it's difficult to get that confidence sometimes just to really gun for the thing and often the people that do gun for the thing are the people that weirdly find success with it so what was it do you think in that moment that really sort of convinced you to to just go at this uh honestly uh besides the fact that my my uh my then husband was really supportive uh because he'd seen me make money doing weird things uh <laughs> for a long time and just like 
knew I could. Um, but also he wanted that safety marker, which is smart. I'm not really that smart when it comes to like, uh, um, stability, you know, stability, me have a, a, a tenuous relationship and, the thing that allowed me to go full force was that I wrote under a pen name that no one knew. Mm-hmm. Like that allowed me to just go crazy, do stupid stuff, like publish things that weren't super well edited, um, that the readers didn't super care that they weren't super well edited. They just liked the stories. And I was able to write, publish fast and learn very quickly from each new uh, book published I would learn something new, apply it to the next book and, you know, reiterate over it that way. And some people aren't comfortable with that kind of footloose and fancy free attitude. I do know that having a pen name that I never intended to personify allowed me to do that because it wasn't attached to me as a human being. So if I published the book and I got a bad review, it wasn't about me. It was about the work and the pen name. It wasn't it didn't hit as deep. Um, I did switch pen names towards the end of that year. The, the friend that I was writing with and I had a bit of a, a mis, giant miscommunication um, and falling out. And so I then co-wrote with the pen name that we were writing under and launched the pen name that I have continued to write under since then and um, used that energy from that pen name to push into an identity that was more me. But I absolutely did get burned out. Like we've talked a lot about that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, privately, um, cause that's something we're both familiar with um, mm-hmm. is that pushing insanely hard and then like running on fumes and then having no fumes left. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of factors that came into play there, but one of it was that I was, I was writing really fast and was writing, um, things that were personally challenging to me. Writing romance is is extremely challenging to me. Uh, it's not, it's a genre I enjoy reading, but it's not a genre I ever imagined myself writing where the romance is the main plot. I love romantic subplots. They're great, but where that's the thing and where emotions are so important to the reader, Um, I had to learn a lot, but where I actually started burning out because, um, in Clifton strengths, I'm a number one learner. So as long as I'm learning super energized. So while I was learning the romance genre, still, it was very energizing. But once I got to, I would say like a journeyman, advanced journeyman level in romance, particularly, it no longer was like super validating to continue to learn more about it. Cause it wasn't, um, something I was super interested in writing extremely well. And then it became a slog. Yeah, I'd like to um, kind of go a bit deeper into this because I think this is massively helpful for so many people, especially around um, like the, well, I think some of it might be the bubbles that I run in particularly, but I know that you run in similar circles of this attitude towards fast writing, because like you say, in the beginning, you wrote fast. You said, did you say it was one or two books a month you were publishing? Uh, the first year was an av- close to an average of two books a month. Mm. And to a lot of people, that sounds incredibly appealing, the idea of being like, I'm going to throw these books, I'm going to throw these books out. And especially when like it did few, it goes well and you know the money starts coming in. Um, but I, I work quite closely with a lot of different people who have tried this or they're really tempted to try the, the rapid release, the really writing fast model. Um, and I, I tell them it's not for everyone because 
you really have to, in order to go fast for an extended period of time, there are a couple of things that I've observed at least, and I'd, I'd be curious to know if you have similarly with you know the people in the office, success mastermind of the office that you worked with. If the only way to make it to increase longevity is to be writing stuff that you actually enjoy, mm-hmm. to as you say, be learning, to be evolving, to really kind of like giving yourself that chance to experiment and to grow. Um, and you have to be fueled by your story. If it's a case of, you know, the money, the money is that initial hook that brings you in. And obviously, like everyone wants that money. It's fantastic to get rolling. But like you say, you do reach a point of almost stagnation where it is just this cookie cutter um recipe for just baking a book. Um how how would, would you say that's kind of like a fair reflection just based off of the the authors that you've worked with? If any for a lot there. of people, yeah, I would say it's 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 pretty person specific. I yeah. think that most of us um, as humans cannot hold a, a ton of complexity in our heads and work quickly. That's not true of everyone. There are absolutely exceptions. Um, but I have the memory of like a colander, like a, like it's just, <laughs> you, you pour the noodle thoughts in and like anything extra runs out. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, like think of you know, writing short books, like 20 to 40,000 words, um, is about the only way that I can write fast. But I also got frustrated that I wasn't able to write the complexity that I enjoyed reading and also writing. Um, I think it was super useful. I call it the best paid internship I've ever had. I think it was super useful for learning a lot of things very quickly. Um, but I want I, de- I definitely want more variety. Um, and I think a lot of authors resonate with that. Not everybody does. A lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, there are some people who like, they're like, this is my genre and I love it. So there's the field by what they love. And I really like this length and I'm going to do this. Um, Dean Leslie Smith is one of uh, the examples. And if uh, you've been in the writing circles long enough, uh, it's kind of impossible to not run across him at some point. He and his wife have been writing and teaching for decades. Like they started Trad Pub when it was the only game in town. Um, and he is adamant about writing into the dark to keep his excitement alive. He writes, he really writes long. He normally writes less than 60,000 words in a book. Um, and that's what's exciting for him. He writes very quickly. That's also exciting for him. Um, but he also dances around in different genres to keep his squirrel brain happy, but he has over 300 something titles, uh, maybe more, um, that may be just his, and like, I'm not counting his short stories. Like that's just his novellas and novels. And so he's got a really large catalog to back him up that provides him a more financial stability that allows him to be a bit more squirrely without having any other kind of job. Hmm. Yeah, definitely different examples of, of different people. Um, yeah, just working with some of the authors that I've worked with, like I say, there's, there's a real appeal to be able to write mm-hmm. fast, but I think it's rare that people are ever informed of, you know, the long-term tell, the exhaustion, the burnout. And like, I've had it with my own creativity where, um, like I make no secret of the fact that I ghostwrite and I do a lot of that and a lot of that is writing fast. So for me, the sort of writing fast for other people is creatively draining in my own work. And I find that, especially at the minute I'm trying to really get a resurgence of finding the the time to put my own words in and all that kind of stuff um I mean are you happy to dive a little bit into your sort of period of burnout because it was quite intense and it did last quite a while for you and 
going from you know that that massive output into sort of the burnout the experience um you know must have affected what goes forward after that yeah for sure uh, before we uh, step over to that i did want to say that the thing i think a lot of people need to keep in mind when they're looking at the authors who are fast writing is they're not looking at life circumstances that might allow other people yes. to write and release fast um where they can't like childless, um, young, you know, um, let's not like discount the energy of youth, um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> yep. you know, living with their parents sometimes or a spouse who has a full-time job and is able, like, there's a lot of, of factors that you need to consider when you look at someone else and you start comparing yourself, like you can't, you rarely are in similar situations and have similar capacities. Mm. And I just think that not enough people stick that in their brains when they start getting comparison. Just because one person is, I think, immediately. That's the way. I should be able to do that. They do that. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, are you a 20 something, uh, you know, childless living at home human? Uh, Mm -hmm. No, like you have responsibilities. You have like a full-time job and you have like 12 kids. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And a chronic illness, like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, the burnout, it's it's impossible to talk about the burnout without also talking about what what was happening in my personal life at the time, Mm -hmm. which was the ending of my relationship. Of course, I didn't know it at the time, Um, but that was... That was a huge part of it. Um, my my personal life was extremely stressful, and I didn't recognize that that was the cause of so much issues. And because it was my relationship, and I, I was writing romance, that was extra difficult for me because I was definitely in, and still to some extent, like romance is a lie. I'm just writing fairy tales. It doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, so it's hard to write in that to that that realm of you're like everything's mm. lovely and happy and everyone ends up happily ever after when uh, you're bitter. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, I know a lot of women who've gone through similar situations who write romance who use it as an escape and they use it as a respite. And, and I um, am just a much darker soul, and it just didn't work that way for me. Um, Beyond that, like I did have it, you know, I had a child who I wanted to give time and attention to. And so this combo of life at home was super stressful. My kid needed me, like kids need their parents. They need time with their parents. Um, And I was just getting really tired of what I was writing because it was not exciting. It was not interesting. Um, I wasn't feeling it. Um, and yet I still sat down and wrote words. It might take me two hours to write 400 words, which was like the most painful, slow point of mm. the burnout, but I was still sitting down and writing words. And I, was that healthy? I don't know. I had to keep a roof over my head. Um, so I did it. Um, and if the same thing were to happen, would I make similar choices? I probably not. I don't know. It depends on depends on poverty. Yeah, I think hindsight is 2020 as well. And I think that, well, with my own cases of burnout, I definitely think I am in one now. Um, you don't diagnose burnout until you're almost on the way out of burnout. Mm-hmm. So you spend a lot of time just slogging through. Like, Why can't I do this? Yeah. And just pushing yourself and doing the things and kicking yourself for not doing enough. Um, not attributing it to anything else at all because for whatever reason 
mentally you just feel like you should be doing that you should be able to do the thing and the reality is that you can't for these external factors um i mean does that sound similar to, to your experience as well yeah yeah i spent a good couple months at the beginning of the year really lamenting that i wasn't a robot who could be consistent <laughs> every day and produce uh-huh. the same way every day and just like super angry that we humans are cyclical beings mm-hmm. with periods of high productivity medium productivity and low productivity Um, there's this like weird back of the brain belief that I should just be at high productivity all the time, no matter what. Um, and I get really angry about that all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I think it's very easy to, I think a lot of people compartmentalize the writing and the work as if that is a beast that is unaffected by everything else that goes on in your life. I know that certainly when, you know, I went through um, the breakup with my ex um there was a big period of time where things were slower and like there were some times where you use that sometimes to fuel you and you're even more productive because of you know yeah. reasons um but there, there is a tendency to just think but it's just writing it's like it's not affected by you know daylight levels it's not affected by like grief or other things going on in your life because it's somehow protected by this bubble and the truth is that it's not you need to have everything else in balance in order to make sure that you can consistently come to you know, the keyboards to um do the work what did you employ to try and get out of that burnout cycle because i mean it was how how many months were you in that cycle because it did seem oh quite gosh a like for you. two years i think yeah. honestly um uh, and, and it was it was i would say that the worst of it was from midpoint 2019 to midpoint 2020 was the worst of it um but probably all of 2019 and 2020 uh, Interesting, the around the time part. that we started talking. Mm, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely not that uh, I'm linked in any way. <laughs> yeah, it's like to dead make it worse or better. Um, uh, yeah, and you know, even even going even now, I would say I'm still dealing with the repercussions. Um, and I think part of the reason is is that. Uh, get on my soapbox here a little bit. Toxic capitalism. Um, in our toxic capitalistic societies uh, that the UK and uh, North America tends to buy into, we are taught that our our worth is tied to our production level mm-hmm. um, and uh, our financial profitability. When you're raised like that, you are just um, like directed, like it's like you're an arrow directed straight at burnout at some point. Um, you don't know if it's 50 feet in front of you or like 50 yards or like 200 yards, but like you're going to hit burnout at some point if you are raised that way and buy into it and stick with it. Like you're just, you're screwed, you're cursed, like it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um those of us who are entrepreneurial minded and workaholics, like where, where that feeds in, like that idea of like our worth is, is part of our productivity because like those of us who are super productive, naturally we buy into that like hardcore because it, it, it feeds what we're already good at. Mm -hmm. And we tend to burn out super hard because we expend so much energy, um, diving into that, you know, insanity yeah and I mean some of the chats that we've had you've definitely been one of the influencers that has pulled me back like I know that 
a year or two ago, I was certainly much more um, workaholic than I am now. Like I'm still not really where I want to be, but like I'm, I'm in a situation in which I can take weekends off, for example, or if, mm-hmm. you know, my son's got a school play, like I will be much more softer on myself for the afternoon in terms of yeah. like not just getting all cramped up on, on the idea of doing the work. Um, but I, I, I think you're right. There is, there is that pressure that if you're not doing, you're not succeeding in some way. And I know that I've spoken about this recently on the Next Level Office podcast that I'm particularly at the minute very much struggling with the boundaries of my work um particularly trying to sort out like my morning how I feel like I work best because I I feel like I could work from say six until midday and that would be a good day for me because I'd be able to get the stuff in I'm very much a morning person when it comes to work all that all that kind of good stuff but what tends to happen is that I hit nine o'clock and then my brain resets and I go okay the work day has begun just because of mm. the way that I've been in the day job for so many years yeah. and the way that I've seen my father working and my granddad working and so it then becomes a thing of like, I feel guilty that I tend to finish it around four o'clock, which is an hour before the nine to five would finish. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't explain it. because I mean, it's much harder when I was living with my parents last year and saving up to buy this place. It was much easier to fall within that pattern because my dad works his hours. Mm-hmm. Whereas now that I'm in my own place again, I'm pulling back and I've gotten to four o'clock. But again, I'm starting work really about half six, seven in the morning still. So it's like, it's exactly what you say. It's really difficult to overcome these social pressures. I think that's another thing that a lot of people don't consider is there is a blanket weight that comes from expectation from other people, even if you're not necessarily aware of it. Yeah, the, the, there's, there's a lot of invisible stories uh, that we have um, that we think other people are putting on us uh, that it takes a long time to root out. Mm. It is, it is hard and we all got to try and take those journeys and just learn from each example of you know when you do reach burnout because no one no one enjoys reaching burnout <laughs> no one enjoys getting to that point where they can't work and you know they're tired all the time and things are just difficult no matter what you try so one of the things that I struggle with and I suspect that when I say this it's gonna like make you feel really uncomfortable um because it makes me feel uncomfortable is the idea that if you did nothing other than lay in bed all day, didn't read, didn't watch movies, if you just laid in bed, you still have worth. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah, like just all of me is like, but, but I, but I didn't do any, like, like mm-hmm. just like I have. Oh, super hard to write <laughs> because if you're not watching the video, you can't see it, but Dan is visibly flinching. <laughs> uh, I get but I mean, it'd be oh. interesting to, to break that kind of stuff down because I mean, you're right. There were, you know, there was a period before I really started to dive into this writing and pushing and like building a business in which, you know, early in uni days, I'd go to a lecture for an hour a day and then I'd, I'd you know, hang with friends or I'd just chill at home and like different, different phases for different periods of the life but that was that was okay for me then and I (laughs) that is one of the really tricky things about this kind of um, work and building a business is that I know particularly for me a lot of what I'm doing is very legacy focused Mm -hmm. so any day in which I'm not doing something is a day which I'm not adding something to you know what could be left behind for my son and for sort of future generations of Wilcoxes Um, but but you are right like to sometimes have a day in which 
you do do nothing and you do just sit there, you know, whether that's recharging your batteries, whether that's just, you know, there, there is value to be had in that. Um, I would be pained to say that I'd enjoy doing that at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I was going to say, I was going to say like sitting and doing nothing might not be a really enjoyable way mm-hmm. of, of living your life. Um, but even if you did, like you're still, you still have value. Like that's super hard for me to, to, uh, yeah. Reconcile with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of, um, you know, bringing this full cycle. So, you know, intense productivity, intense burnout, Mm-hmm. how has your journey to um i don't want to say recovery because that's assuming um you know a state that you're in that i'm not privy to but if you know i don't know um it's like but, i'm a drug addict <laughs> but if it is if you are sort of out of that cycle and you know what you know writing life looks like to you now because you have somewhat slowed down on the production yeah i mean i took three months off where i didn't write at all and that wasn't intentional i intended to write because i'm more like a fucking holic but um <laughs> but we were in the road and it just didn't make sense. Um, right now I like, I'm, I'm still negotiating my relationship with work. I'm not a, I'm not creating as much as I want to right now, but I'm also really cautious of, um, throwing myself into what I was before for sure. Mm -hmm. And, when I, when I did the write better, faster, um, class with Becca Syme and I had my session with her, one of the things she said, um, about coming out of burnout is that at some point, because a lot of people coming out of burnout are really scared to add more to yes. get to the, uh, cause they're afraid they'll go right back in and throw themselves back into the pit. Um, at some point it will become more painful to not do things than it is, um, to do them. And that I've, I've found that to be very true. Um, the, the first step of, of me adding something that I wanted to do, but I was afraid not to do was when I started the right away podcast, um, 20, was it, it was post, it was post, uh, COVID. So 2019, um, it was April, 2019, I started it and then, um, I think, I'm kind of wrestling with another phase now, which is in adding the writing back. Cause I, you know, I was still writing throughout all of burnout. The uh, only time I think there was one month where I didn't write, um, in that time. And then until then this three month period, no four month period really where I haven't truly written. Um, and so now it's like, okay, let's figure out like what does a healthier and then it, the, uh, that's just the, the non robot thing angers me so much. <laughs> um, the thing I s- struggle with is that whatever works for me now, isn't necessarily what will work for me in six months and isn't yes. necessarily what will work for me in two years. And that frustrates me because I just want the perfect plan and then stick to it. And it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So much anger over this. Um, uh, but what can you, yeah. <laughs> But what can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I have consciously done, and I and I did this somewhat before uh, the burnout really started the slide, but it, I'm one of those people who can look at literally everything I do and be like, I could make money off this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I consciously have creative things I do where I refuse to turn it into a business. 
Um, and so for me, like that is music, uh, it is drawing and it is gardening. Um, it doesn't stop me from thinking like, Oh, I could sell these baby plants for this much, but I'm just (laughs) not going to do it. Yeah. Um, and that helps a lot towards keeping me on more of a healthy balance. Mm. I definitely feel that flinch toward adding workload. Cause I mean, I know that you say I'm a workaholic. I am. Um, and you know, people see what I do and I'm like from the outside, relatively productive. Um, but there are certain things where like, I know that I could be doing a lot more, but I also know the pain of what that has brought me in the past. And like periods where, um, I remember working the full-time day job and first getting into my first like fast written series. And it would literally be a case of I'd start the book, I'd blink, finish the book, and I wouldn't remember the past four or five weeks. And then there'd be a real hesitation of like, I've got to get to book two now, but like, I want to, you know, be somewhat present. Actually live like yeah, a yeah. human. <laughs> and then like you go into the next book and because it was like that on top of a full-time job, on top of like looking after a young child and everything else, like it just, it just consumes you. And then it happens. So I'm really very, very careful at this point about not going back into those cycles and if I am working on a project enjoying it but not losing myself in it I struggle a lot with um with working with friends and and or like talking to friends and they're like oh my gosh you do so much and Mm -hmm. I look at at what I'm doing and I'm like yo this is like a tenth to a twentieth of what I was doing two years ago three years ago um and and even though I know I don't want to get back to that. I'm like, I, like I should be doing, I should be accomplishing more Mm -hmm. in the time that I have. I'm not even saying I should be working more hours. I'm just saying I should get things done faster. (laughs) (laughs) The pains of productivity. But I think, um, are you familiar with the concept of cumulative normalcy? Mm, No. So it's, it's pretty much what you said. It's that, it's that idea of, you know, you, think something is productive and then you get to a point where you're doing it just regularly to the point that becomes normal and then you increase it a little bit and that becomes yes. normal and you increase it and that becomes normal and then you take you know a couple of steps back to when you previously were very very productive but not as productive as you have been yeah and then suddenly it's not enough yeah and i find that i've also heard it of it called racing to failure yeah <laughs> yeah it's a much better way to put it um but no that is something that i I, I see a lot of, and I know that I personally suffer from is exactly as you say, like you, you take a step back because, you know, you need to, and it's healthier and you're, you're happier and things. And then suddenly you're like, Oh, but you know, I could go a bit further. I could go. I used to do this. I used to do this. And it's, it's a whole different ball game. Um, so you went away for three months planning to do some writing and obviously that didn't happen. Um, but you enjoyed it. You went out, like, I saw some amazing pictures of your travels. You went with kiddo and it was, incredible from the sight of it Amazing. what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've had from taking a three-month hiatus uh, that it would be healthy to do that fairly regularly I don't know that I want to take like three months every year but like a month every year or like half a year every five years mm. sounds really good like I think um you know I think it's like in a lot of academia circles, like they have that idea of a sabbatical where you take a break from teaching and go away to like work deeply on your projects, right? I think that we writers would do really well if we could, especially, you know, specifically those of us where this is our full-time gig, um, 
where we take a break and don't put the pressure of producing on ourselves. Um, and this gets into a bit of woo-woo, but, and really trusting that we've built a system that will continue to bring the money in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's what the the goal is for so many of us. It's not like have one book that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year though. We wouldn't say no. Um, it's to have the pile of books that brings in 2000, 3000, 4000 every month on the low months. And then we have the bigger months. And that just this, this belief and this trust that the money will come in. And that has been, that's probably been one of the biggest takeaways I had over those, those months uh, is just seeing that I had built a system that continued to give me money, even though I wasn't doing anything to actively create it. Be honest. Were you constantly checking the finances for the first few weeks? No, I wasn't. But, but the reason would is, be. is because, uh, well, because I've, this has been a, a process of learning for two years, so like 2019 mm. or 2020 and 2021, um, when I was in the super intense um, uh, depression slash burnout in early 2020, I had so many months where I went to my accounting with fear and trepidation and then would just cry in joy as I saw how much money was still coming in, even though I was not working as hard. Um, and so this has been a two-year process. Mm. And I actually went this morning, I messaged y'all as I kind of did my end of the year wrap up uh, most of it. And I, like, and I was just flabbergasted, um, delightfully so. I hadn't entered my numbers in in two months um and and i think like the the month before that it had been like three months since Mm -hmm. i'd entered my numbers and like i would go like checkbook report just to like make sure like i wasn't gonna be like homeless in two months but yeah i i just have had this such like i i have built up this trust now that the money is going to come in that i don't even look it's wild i never thought i'd be here um, but it, it has been a two-year process. Uh-huh. I absolutely love that. Um, I think we're probably being remiss in this interview if we don't talk about a specific mutual friend of ours. So you are heavily involved in the Author Success Mastermind. Um, yes. Would you like to begin just by telling us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, the Author Success Mastermind is a community, in some ways a lot similar to Activated Authors, um, where people who love writing, want to further their craft, want to make it a business in some sense, um, come together and talk about what those challenges are. Um, The main thing I think most of us get out of it is that we have writer friends that we can go to and talk to. And I think that so many people struggle with trying to find those groups through Facebook or through other online portals um, specifically the free ones, and they're so huge. They have difficulty actually connecting with people. And uh, both you and uh, both activated authors in the, the Author Success Mastermind use Slack. And one of the things I really love about um, Slack or Discord, whatever community like platform is chosen, um, is that you can spin up smaller groups. Um, and so like we have a really active fantasy group, like they're meeting every month um, or having like weekly recaps of um, the Wheel of Time right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, 
um, every year Jay does a, like a smaller um, super focused mastermind that's uh, kind of like the next level group. Uh, this year we're doing, they're doing like six months of like starting from zero to published um, and going through and like finishing a book in six months. And it's been wild to be a part of this. Um, and I've been part of it since Jay started almost three years ago, I think. And this year, or last year, I think we started like the, the open community. And then this year I came on as a partner and just being able to kind of behind the scenes craft an experience of connection um, has just been one of my obsessions. I've like, I know I've thrown a bunch of um, community and connection books at you that I've just mm-hmm. found so useful. Um, and they have been, thank you. Yeah. And just, yeah, just creating experiences for groups of authors who are just yearning for connection to other people who get them has been um, one of my big joys this year. Love that. And what has it been like working with Jay Thorne? I mean, he's, he's terrible. He's, he's a, he's a taskmaster. No, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been really great to get, I think, uh, it'll be funny if he listens to this. I think it's really hard to get to know Jay. I don't think he thinks he's as hard to get to know, um, as I think he is. And I don't know if that's, um, a Gen Xer thing. I don't know if it's just a him thing, but it's been so great to actually like get to have these one-on-one conversations with him and have, uh, the, the ability to pick his brain because he's been doing the indie pub thing for 13, 14 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I super appreciate about him is that he was a teacher before he was a writer. And I've been able to learn so much from him about how to share the knowledge that is in my brain. And that has been invaluable. Yeah, I've had a, a few, well, a fair few private conversations with Jay at this point now. And just every single one of them I come out just with ideas and just experience and like he is just a very very generous guy from what I've seen um what's it like running the podcast with him because obviously he's the podcast master at this point uh yeah he, <laughs> he made me be in charge of it uh, Ooh, interesting yeah so he normally doesn't edit his podcast like he records them they are done I um uh, that's just not possible for me because I will stare off into space for 30 seconds plus <laughs> as I try and figure out how to speak again. Um, you know, where your brain goes like three different directions at once. And I'm like, wait a second. Um, and also the whole like stumbling over my words, um, ability where I just speak gibberish as I try to say three different things at the same time. And so I edit the podcast because I told him straight up, I was like, Jay, like, I can't just record and then publish. It's not going to mm. happen. I mumble way too much for that. <laughs> um, but, uh, and that's, so that's been fun. Like he does the recording. We use, uh, we use um, stream, no, Squadcast, which is cool because it records on both ends, which is, was super helpful. Here's mm. a little techie thing for folks. When I was in Puerto Viejo de Talamanca, which uh, is super rural and I'd not the best internet, but it, it records on both sides and then mashes them together. So uh, we were able to both sound decent, mm-hmm. <laughs> even when I was in terrible internet. Yeah. There's another one that does that as well. Um, there's there's a few. Yeah. Yeah. There's stream yard so, stream. No stream yards more. I can't video. remember what I used to use. Um, yes. But there's yeah, a few. we used to use one uh, fairly early on. Um, Zoom actually asking... does it now too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's useful. 
Um, I'm going to ask you a question now that might seem quite big, but it kind of narrows down to a lot of what we're talking about and also selfishly something that I want to pick your brains on, um, which is when it comes to creativity, where is your fire right now? Mm, digging super deep into character lies. It's, I like how KM Wallen puts it, the character lies. Mm. Um the the holes in uh, I think Sasha calls it like a soul wound in her villains book, but like I feel like every every human has those at least one probably multiple um, those wounds that they are unconsciously seeking to um, to cover up and and heal, and that is where the the oomph of my stories come from. Like I love having super um, like sci-fi fantasy is my jam. I love having these really interesting worlds with complex societies. Um, but the, the thing that I really like is building those societies based off of how they challenge my characters, like mm -hmm. what obstacles they throw at my character to make them face that issue that they don't want to face. And is that where you're looking at sort of the evolution of your fiction at this point? Or writing more of those sort of stories? Yes, uh, with the with the added um, emphasis on the necessity of relationships to play with other humans to push us toward growth or failure, um, that we just don't exist as robots alone, disconnected. <laughs> from everything Sensing a robotic theme <laughs> it's it's been it's been my it's been my theme for the year like i'm not a robot and i'm angry <laughs> um things would be so much easier mm -hmm. uh but like yeah i mean just kind of delving into the humanity of it all um mm -hmm. and at some point i'm gonna i'm gonna pick your brain on how horror ties into that because horror is one of the genres i don't understand truly like what like most genres I can understand like how it hooks into like the reader's soul wound and how to like how it's healing that for them. Um, but I don't understand horror and that bothers me that I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, I think cool. true horror is- well, a That's a whole nother episode, but we're going to have yeah. a conversation on that for sure. No, I'm happy to go with that. I think in many ways, horror is very much a bit of an outlier on a lot of those things. But at the same time, there are certainly commonalities that, that pull it all together in sort of the broad structure of the story. Um, I mean, so the reason the reason that I ask that question specifically is that for myself, because whether it's because I'm in burnout, because I've literally just bought a house and like the last year has been heavy and everything else. Like one thing that I really feel like I'm missing is like my fire. Because when I was in the day job, it was very much like fire to get out of the day job. You know, previous situations I won't go into, it was very much like I need to get, like I had I had the fuel, the really like sort of passion to get to the keyboard to smash it every morning. And whether it's sort of like a breaking routine, different environment, all that kind of stuff, like I'm, I'm struggling to find that right now. So I just, you know, wondered how you, how you kind of coming out of that cycle of burnout, push back into your particular fire. I do have a specific answer for that, but first question, when is your anniversary of going full-time and when is that? That'll or be in, like, April, what year are you in? April next year will be three years. Yeah. 
um year two is the fucking hardest we've talked about this Mm -hmm. before um because year one is the fire like you've got it and and it pushes you and then you hit burnout a bit uh and two year two is a bit of a struggle you're figuring out okay what does sustainability look like Mm -hmm. um and then year three moves into more trust in yourself um for most people like this is what i've seen over and over and over um But as I was in this super hardcore burnout for romance, and I still needed to write the romance, I sat down and I said, what is it that I just have a really easy time writing? What makes it really easy for me to write and joyful and I laugh when I come to the page Um, or just have fun? And um, for me, that was um, writing relationships, um, writing the emotions of connections with other humans, but specifically outside the romance connections. And so like a lot of familial and friend aspects and then um, writing divergent characters, specifically neurodivergencies, um, but also physical disabilities. And so I've discovered that if I do not have a character who is not either neurodivergent or physically challenged uh, or physically different, um, that it's really hard for me to write. It's just not as interesting. Mm. Um, so for instance, um, the, the book I wrote, it's the last, it's not the last book I published. The last book I published was a co-write, but the book before that I was a solo and I had, uh, the main character had a sister with cerebral palsy and she was one of the sassiest, snarkiest humans on the face of the earth, um, but couldn't speak very well. Um, and so a lot of it was in writing, but she was a fabulous writer, you know, and physically writing was difficult for her, but like, so she had so much personality, but all of these challenges and just was one of my, like writing real humans that way, because so often, um, people with, with neurodivergencies or disabilities are written as, oh, poor me characters. Mm -hmm. But I think if you find like the people with the most trauma, whether it's physical, um, situational or like emotional, are some of the strongest personalities you'll ever meet. And when that, like, when you just write this, oh, poor me character, it's not at all reflective of humanity. And so I found that writing those characters, even as side characters, just gives me so much oomph for the work. And so, but I had to write down all of these things that, that I'm like, what are the scenes that I have the easiest time writing? And I had to write down all of those things to figure out if, if I don't have this, then it's hard for me to write. And so the book I have after that one that's half written, the reason that's half written is I didn't put one of those characters in there. And so it's a slog. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense because a lot of my focus just because of time-wise other things at the minute is on the ghost writing and the type of stuff that I ghost write tends to not be like, tends to not be the stuff that I would ordinarily write myself. And I'm very, I'm very keen on, writing those kind of close relationships with characters i'm very keen on world building and trying to come up with like real rich imagery and you know the the world that people are settled in um and that's all the stuff that i haven't been able to touch for a good six months mm-hmm. so it could be another yeah. of that and mm. with the ghost writing um i don't know how much freedom you have to add flavor because it's got to be written to their voice their style mm-hmm. yeah something to to ponder um i could pick your brain for hours um and you know at some point i definitely will uh, but i suppose we should you know round this down to a close so i have one more question for you before we say goodbye which is why do you write 
Ooh, um, I, right. I have, a, I have an answer for this. That's really, that's really lovely. Um, but it's not coming to mind, but I write, <laughs> um, I write because it helps me work out my understanding of the world and it gives me a way as an extreme introvert, as somebody who cannot handle, um, connecting with a lot of people at once, but it gives me a way to, um, to reach out to kids who are like me, who escaped into writing or adults like me who escape into writing and help them heal, um, through experiences in fiction, um, that they're not especially keen to have in life. Mm -hmm. I love that. Where can people find out more about yourself and everything that you work on? Um, www.chriscane.com is the best place to find me. Um, other than that, you can find me on TikTok as it's Chris Kane. Um, I love TikTok and I'm terrible <laughs> about remembering to post there. Um, you do some but, cool stuff on TikTok. But yeah, I mean, lately it's been about like taking my plants on vacation with me. But <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks for having me. No worries. And a massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. And as always, if you're looking to level up your writing and activate your author career, then head on over to www.activatedauthors.com to find out all about our community, our resources, and everything that we do. And one thing that I didn't touch on in this interview, which is a thread for the last few interviews, is that you can also find Chris hanging out over on our Slack group and join her alongside our other expert panelists every single month for our live member Q&As. Ukrainians are suffering. One million refugees have been forced to leave their homes. Millions of human beings are crying out for hygiene products, food and blankets. You can help. I'm proud to announce the launch of our Writers for Ukraine initiative, starting with our one million word challenge. We are calling on all writers to pick up their pens and heed the call for our biggest ever challenge to raise money and support for those who need it in these unprecedented times. From Wednesday 9th to Tuesday the 15th of March, writers from the world over will band together to achieve a combined total of 1 million words across their projects. It doesn't matter what you write. If you're a fiction writer, work on that next novel. If you're a non-fictioner, blogger, poet, short story writer, or comic book creator, it doesn't matter. It's all about getting the words down. Over the seven days, we will strive to achieve both goals of hitting 1 million words and raising a minimum of £10,000 to get vital aid to Ukraine. To get involved, simply sign up over at activatedauthors.com forward slash Ukraine, make your donation, and then jump on over into our bespoke word tracker. It's just that simple. One million words for over one million refugees. Writers for Ukraine. Write the words that can literally change the world. <laughs>